We are in the last message of our series on the book of Colossians. Normally, when you read your Bible and you get to this section, you fly through it and you never think about it because it's basically the end of the book and it's a bunch of names and we kind of just skip over that part. But it's very important this morning that we stop and we learn even things in this part of the book, okay? Because there is a lot um, in this last half of chapter 4 in the book of Colossians. So um, there's a bunch of names, and they, some of them will mean something to you, and most of them will not. But when we're done, I hope you'll learn something from all of them. Um, that's the reason they're there. In the book of Colossians, Paul was trying to address a problem, and the problem was simply this. The Jewish people had come to Christ, and they wanted to add some of their Jewish stuff. They said, being saved is great, but we think there should be more, so let's add some of our Jewish stuff. The Greeks had come to Christ, and they had loved this idea of Christianity, but they wanted to bring some of their Greek stuff. So they're trying to get the church to add the Greek stuff. The Jews are trying to get the church to add the Jewish stuff. And Paul writes to these people and says, look, Christ alone is enough. Don't complicate it. Don't keep adding all of this stuff. Focus on Christ, not the stuff. And you're actually going to see that at the end of this book. So with that in mind, let's jump to it. Um, and we're in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Here's what it says. Um, all right. Uh, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending to him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, and then he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. All right. He throws out a couple of names right off the bat, uh, Tychicus and Onesimus. These are two guys who are going to travel from Rome all the way down to Colossae and actually hand deliver this letter that Paul wrote. All right? um, the first one there, Tychicus, he is probably a guy from, from uh, Thessalonica. Um, he actually becomes a, a fairly important player in the New Testament, although you probably don't know that. Um, he was part of a group. Uh, today, if you want to go into the ministry or whatever else, you know, you go to school a lot of times and they teach you all the Bible stuff and you learn all of these things and, and, and that's how we do it. Back then, what you would do is you would find a, 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 a teacher or somebody who you wanted to follow and you would walk with them and you would do what they do. That's what Jesus does with the 12 disciples. In the same way, when Paul was going about his ministry, he had a group of people that would, would follow him and would work side by side and learn from him. And then Paul would teach them how to do ministry so then they could leave and go out and do ministry. This guy, Tychicus, is one of them. Okay, Because actually what's going to happen is Paul here sends him to Colossae with this letter. Um, we know um, later... Paul is going to send him to Ephesus. He's going to tell Timothy to move on, and Tychicus is going to take the church at Ephesus. And then in the book of Titus, we get the idea that Paul also sent him to Crete. So this is a guy that Paul could really trust, that Paul was very comfortable with, somebody that, that had learned well from, from, from Paul, enough that Paul said, look, I can't do it, but you can go do it for me. 
And that's who this guy was. And notice how he describes him. He's a dear brother. So he talks about the bond that they have in Christ. He says he's a faithful minister. He's talking about the type of, of job that he does, that he keeps plugging away on it, that, he, that, he, that he's faithful, that he's proven himself over and over again. And he's a fellow servant. He tells a little bit about his heart, that this is a guy who's willing to do whatever I've asked him to do to serve me and, and to serve Christ. And then notice what he says. He said, I'm sending him to you for the express person that you may know about our circumstances that it may encourage your heart. It's very interesting. Why doesn't Paul put this stuff that he wants these guys to say in a letter? Kids, listen to me. Here's a great principle that you need to pay attention to. Some things need to be done face to face. Texting, emailing, social network, not enough. There's some things that need to be said face to face. And a lot of people believe that what was happening is these guys were going to go down, they were going to tell, they were going to tell these guys some of the details that they didn't want to put in the letter because it could cause problems or it could have caused persecution. And they wanted to sit down with them and say, okay, let me tell you what's going on up there. There's something to be said for face to face. And here's one of the dangers of our culture. We're getting away from that. And we've got to be careful of that. And my wife and I are just as guilty of it. It was actually one night we were sitting watching TV, and the next thing I know we're, we're, we're texting each other, uh, Facebooking each other kind of thing. It was just one of those goofy things, you know. Um, but, I mean, we were joking around. But it's like, you know what? I mean, we can get that way. And you can get that way in, in your world. And, and there's something to be said for this face-to-face stuff. So he sends them down. Now, notice who else he sends. Who else does he send? Onesimus. Big New Testament guy. You should know Onesimus, all right? Let me tell you Onesimus' story. Onesimus is a runaway slave. And most probably, he is a runaway slave who stole money from his master. But here's what happened. Onesimus, here's what we believe happened. Onesimus runs away from his master, runs into Paul, and becomes a Christian. And one of the things that Paul does in discipling Onesimus is say, hey, you need to go make things right with the master who you ran away from. It's one thing to become a Christian. It's another thing to go back to the master who you ran away from. And here's the problem. In that culture, to do that would have meant he could throw him in prison. He had every right to do that. Anybody know the name of his master? Philemon. The book of Philemon is a letter that Paul writes to Philemon, Onesimus' master. And he says, I want you to take him back. And if he stole anything from you, you put it on my account. But Paul doesn't know if Philemon's going to take him back or not. So you need to understand, when this says that Onesimus is going to go back to Colossae, which is the area that, that he was from, because it says, notice what he says, he's one of you, this is the area he's from, this is a big step for Onesimus. This is a big step for Onesimus, because Onesimus could be, end up in prison by going back and delivering this letter. And, and by the way, one of the names that we're going to run into here at the end of this book is a relative of Philemon. Um, and so what's going to happen is Onesimus is going to walk into this place, and there's going to be a lot of people who know him. And so notice what Paul has done. He said, Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you? They will tell you everything is happening here. 
So in other words, he has these two people deliver this letter, and it goes a long way. And let me tell you something, that's a big step for Onesimus. That's a big step for Paul to put his name out there and to do that. And Paul is going to encourage these guys to look. You take him back. You give him another chance. Okay? And that's going to be something that you're going to see quite a bit here at the end of this book. Going on. He's now going to mention three more guys. Uh, he, here's, what, here's what's fascinating. He mentions a total of six people that we want to focus on um, in, in this section. Here's what's significant. Uh, there are also, by the way, five of the six are mentioned in the book of Philemon. Um, here's, the, here's the thing you should pay attention to. Three of them are Hebrew and three of them are Greek. And that's important. Because what's Paul writing this book to? A group of Greeks who are saying our way is better and a group of Jews who are saying our way is better. And Paul's writing it and saying, hey, look, these six guys, three Jews, three Greeks, they want to say hi to you because they're up here working with me. So it's significant that he throws these, these six names out. Okay? And notice, here's what he says. He says, uh, jump it on, guys. Uh, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You may have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God that have proved a comfort to me. I think that's one of the saddest verses in Colossians. Because Paul was a Jew who came to Christ. And Paul says, out up here in Rome, there's only three Jewish guys who have been in my corner. There's only three people who've really comforted, encouraged, and helped me through this. And here they are. He talks about Aristarchus, um, who sends you his greeting. All we know about him pretty much is that he is a fellow prisoner, um, uh, like Paul. Uh, he has been, he has been um, probably from Thessalonica, uh, but he's a prisoner like Paul, uh, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, this is a biggie. Okay, because uh, Mark is a problem. Okay, Mark came from a single, widowed, wealthy woman. That was, that was where he was raised. When you go back in the history of the Bible, when you go back in the book of Acts, here's what you find. Paul and Barnabas take the first missionary journey. Okay? And when they go, they take a guy by the name of John Mark. Mark, this Mark right here. What happens is things get really, really tough. And, now again, I'm paraphrasing this. Okay, don't take this too far. But spoiled little rich kid says, this is too hard, I'm going home. So he leaves. And Paul and Barnabas continue to do their thing. They come back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem church says, hey, look, we want to send you guys out again. We're going to send you on your second missionary journey. And they go, great. And Barnabas says, let's take Mark. And Paul goes, I don't think so. And read the book of Acts. They get into a heated, heated discussion. So much so that Paul says, that boy ain't going with me. And Barnabas, who's his cousin, you know, it's his cousin, says, I want to give the guy a second chance. And Paul said, I ain't giving him a second chance. And Barnabas says, well, if he doesn't go, I don't go. And Paul says, okay, then you ain't going. And Paul and Barnabas split here. 
Barnabas and Mark head off in one direction. Paul and Timothy head off in another direction. And they split over Mark. But notice now when we get to the book of Colossians, who's with Paul? Mark. And when you get to the book of Timothy, you know what you're going to find? You know what he writes to Timothy? Mark has been profitable to me for the gospel. In other words, Paul's eating his words in essence and saying, you know what? I'm glad Barnabas gave him a second chance. I just wasn't willing to do that. And now, follow this. Paul is now saying, Mark, a cousin of Barnabas, and he says, you've been receiving instructions about him. He comes to you, welcome him. He said, look, if he gets down your way, you treat him just like you treat me. And he says, Mark is with him now and sends the greetings. Now, here's what's fascinating, and this is what I want you to think about. Paul is sending Onesimus down there and wanting the people to give him a second chance. And he's saying, Mark's up here with me. I gave him a second chance. I'm not asking you to do anything I didn't do. And he said, Mark sends his greetings as well. And then he lists um, Justus, who's called Jesus. He would have been um, a, a Jewish guy. He would have, it was typical to change their name. Often they would change their name. Um, that would have particularly helped him in a Roman world where Jesus would not have been as accepted as Justice. Uh, by the way, Paul changes his name from Saul to Paul. Um, it's, it was not an uncommon thing, so he's called Justice. Um, but he's one of the Hebrew guys. But the thing that amazes me here is these are the only guys who encourage Paul, the only Jewish guys that encourage Paul. Um, and that's kind of sad because uh, these are people who should have been in his corner. Then he goes on and he lists um, Epaphras, who's one of you and a servant of Christ. Remember I said Epaphras? Epaphras was probably the evangelist for the area. Uh, what Epaphras would have done is, is we, from stuff that we put together, we believe that what Epaphras did is he became a Christian when Paul was at Ephesus. All right? Paul was at Ephesus for three years. In those three years, Paul preached five hours a day, six days a week. Epaphras would have been involved in some of that. He would have come, we believe that he came to know Christ. Epaphras left from there, kind of became an evangelist, helped start churches all around there. Epaphras is the one who was instrumental in the church of Colossae. So he helps these guys get started. He goes up there and uh, he stays up there. When we get to the book of Philemon, Epaphras is in prison with Paul. So going to Rome may have actually, not only on the sake of Colossae people, may have actually cost him and, and put him in prison. And so Epaphras is there, and notice what he says in that, who is one of you and a servant of Christ sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. He said, Epaphras is up here with me, but you need to know this, folks. That guy, he like prays like crazy for you people. It's nuts. And he wants you to be solid and he wants you to be firm he wants to be assured in your faith and that's what he wants from me that's why i'm writing you guys this letter and this guy's up here with him. and then he mentions two other people luke uh, luke would have written the gospel of luke and he would have written the book of acts he said luke is up here with me uh, when we get to um timothy um it's sad one of the things that he says is only luke is with me so luke is one of the few people that stays with paul pretty much all the way to the end um, and then he mentions a very interesting name by the name of Demas. Um, and notice what he says. Demas, um, 
uh, let me see, Epaphras, oh, oh, I'm ahead of myself. Oh, I vouch for you. Okay, 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 guys, go ahead. Oh, you got to jump, next one. I'm way ahead of myself. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea, to Nymphia, the church in her house. After this letter's been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. So Luke, and then he mentions Demas. Notice what he says. He says, Demas sends his greetings. Here's what's interesting. Demas is one of those sad New Testament characters. Here, Demas is with Paul. You know what's said of Demas in the book of Timothy? Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. The thing that we know about Demas in the New Testament, you know how Demas' story ends? He abandoned Paul because he loved the world more than he loved Christ. And he said, you know what, this Christian thing isn't for me, I'm going back that, that way. And that's after being with Paul he had said that. And so he's one of those sad New Testament characters, if you ever study the life of Demas. I mean, it's, it's sad that he could be so close to Paul and then bail on him and bail on the whole Christian thing. And then notice what he goes on to say. He says, um, greetings to my brothers and sisters, Laodicea. Ev, um, Colossians here, Laodicea is really close. And he said, look, send my, I'm sending my greetings to those guys. Um, and to Nympha and the church in her house, in this time period, th- there weren't buildings like this for people to meet in church. You met in houses. You met in homes, okay? Um, and so people would open up their homes and everybody would meet there. So there weren't like, you know, a mega church was probably like 40 people uh, because, you know, homes, you can only have so many in a home and somebody else would meet in their home and they would kind of do those kinds of things. So there, were, there weren't a lot of great big groups and apparently this is a gal who had people meet in her home. And notice what it says. It says, after this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodicean. So what he was saying is, look, after you guys read this, pass this on up the ladder. Send it to the next church. And then he says, and you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Now we do not have, you don't have in your Bibles, you know, Laodicea, a book from Laodicea. So everybody struggles with what is this? It may have been a letter that Paul wrote and we just don't have it in our New Testament. We have letters like that. Um, we know that there were four letters written to the Corinthian church. We only have two in our Bible. And if tomorrow I pick up my paper or I go online and they say, we found the third letter, I'm not going to re-add it to my Bible. There's no reason to do that. Um, the canon's closed. Um, so there's a reason it, it, it was lost for that amount of time. So um, it could be that. Most Bible conservative Bible scholars don't think that's true. Most people believe this is the book of Ephesians. And here's why. Ephesians is what we call a circular letter. Although it was written to the church at Ephesus, it was passed around to a whole bunch of churches once it was read. A lot of these letters were used that way. Because again, you didn't have Bibles and copies and stuff like that and copy machines. So, so a lot of people believe this is the book of Ephesians that he's talking about here. Because the Laodicean church would have been in the circle. They would have gotten the book. That's why in the book of Revelation we see Ephesus mentioned and Laodicea mentioned um, as churches. But going on. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. Now, this guy's interesting because here's what we think. We think, from what, first of all, we think that he is related to Philemon. <laughs> you can imagine in walks Onesimus, and this guy's going, whoa, I know you. And Paul says to Archippus, look, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. A lot of people believe that when Epaphras left, Archippus kind of became the leader or the pastor of the church. Paul's writing this letter back to say, hey, look, you're doing a good job. Keep doing what you're doing. 
Um, and it was just Paul's way of encouraging him to keep on going and not give up. Some people read it and go, well, he was lazy, and Paul's telling him to get back to doing what he's supposed to do. I don't think so. I think it's just the idea. Because i got news for you. It would have been very tough for him. First of all, for Tychicus, who was, who was a big name, to show up. And then maybe to struggle with Onesimus, who showed up, to want to say, you know, I'm out of this. Let, let him do it now. And Paul's writing him saying, no, 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 you keep doing what you're doing. God's got you where he's got you, and you, you keep doing the ministry that you're doing, that God's called you to. And then he ends it by saying this, Paul, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And then this is the first time we really see this in Paul in the book of Colossians. Paul brings a little bit of the focus back to himself. And he says, remember my chains. I think this is Paul's way of saying, remember that if you're going to follow Christ, it just might cost you. And that's okay. Because he ends it with, grace be with you. And I think sometimes we forget that, but yeah, there's often a cost associated with following Christ. And Paul here reminds them of that. Now, I said all that to get to this. All right? Here we go. Let's talk about what we learned. Here, let's talk about this week, today, tomorrow, this week for you. First thing I think you pull out of this. God uses anybody. You got, a, you got a doctor? You got a spoiled rich kid? You got a slave? Um, you got a guy who uh, is faithful? You got the whole gamut here. There's no rhyme or reason. There's nothing in common with these people. It's just God uses anyone who wants to be used. And I can't jump on this enough here. Those of you who've raised teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. You look at your kid, and you look at their potential, and then you look at what they do, and it drives you nuts. Because you go, stop playing video games. Look at this. Look at what you can do here. Why are you texting all the time? Talk to the person. You, 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 all those things that just frustrate you about teenagers, about don't you understand the potential that you have? If I could get you to wake up and see all of the opportunities in front of you, because they're like, hey, whatever. You know? And it frustrates you, right? Those of you who raise teenagers, it frustrates you because they don't understand how much potential they really have. And you, you want everything as a parent for them to see it and to take advantage of it and to just, just position themselves so well for the future. I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to insult you. You want know my frustration is as a pastor? That same thing. Because I watch people with all of this potential to be used by God, but they're messing around with stuff over here. I say, don't, don't you understand that God can use you? But you know what their answer is? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm just uh Whatever. Whatever your job is, oh, no, 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 you know, I, you know, I'm just a housewife, oh, you know, I'm just a farmer, oh, I'm just a, just a, whatever. No, 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 don't you understand? I learned this a long time ago. You know who I would take? If you gave me 20 Bible students studying for ministry and said, take them to the mission field or take farmers, I'll take farmers every day. 
every day, I will take them hands down to a mission field. They are 10 times more valuable than, than that group. Because here's the thing, they don't think they're valuable. And they don't understand when they get there that they have a set of skills because here's why. They can do anything with duct tape and bailing wire. And the one thing you need on a mission field is somebody who can do anything with nothing. That's what you need. And it is such an event. And, and like I say, but I see people all the time, it's like, don't you understand God wants to use you? Don't you understand? God can do incredible things in and through your life. If you would just say, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I might be good at it. Don't you understand? I'm going to get personal here. You know, we're at a point now that, you know, if I tick you off, it gives us another seat. So, um, (laughs) you got to know me to know that. All right. I mean, really. You know, if God's, if God's pulling your chain, then answer it, all right? If God's ringing the doorbell, you answer it. If you would understand, if you could understand that when you sit down here and these kids are sitting around you and you're not comfortable giving a message or doing a children's sermon, if you could understand how they now view you from that point on, You'd start to understand your potential. You'd start to understand God can use you. You talk to people who've been at this church for a while, and you know what they'll tell you? Some of the best services they ever were at were when somebody stood up here to be a lay leader for the first time. Or when somebody prayed out loud for the first time. Or when somebody led communion for the first time. Or when somebody gave a children's sermon for the first time. Why? Because it was a willing heart that said, you know what, God, use me. I'll I'll give it a shot. Use me. And it will be life-changing for you. And and, and Paul here at the end of this mentions all these people, and one of the things that he's mentioning is this idea that, you know what, God can use you. Please understand, God can use you. But if you are not willing to be used, then you miss the blessing, and we do too. God can use you. I want you to understand that. Because as a pastor, sometimes it gets so frustrating when I watch people who don't see their God-given potential. And I love you, and I'll continue to love you, but that just frustrates me. Okay? Second thing. God is a God of second chance. You see here two people, Onesimus and Mark. And you know what their stories are? They were given a second chance. And there are some of you that one of the reasons that you don't believe that God can use you is because you've blown it. It's called what it is. You dropped the ball, you messed up your life, you whatever, da 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 da, da. You, you know the story. Because every time you think about using, about doing something for God, you go back to that and say that's the reason they can't do it. God is the God of second chance. God is a guy who says, you know what? I'll give you another opportunity. I'll use you. Yeah, okay, you made a mouse of it. Big deal. We can get past that if you let me. There's a great lesson in here for those of you who have 
have dropped the ball, whatever it is, financially, marriage, job, work, whatever it is, God says, I'll give you another opportunity. I'll give you a second chance. But let me, let me sidetrack you here for a second. You know what that also means? It also means there are people who are willing to give you a second chance. And that's important. That's very, very important. It means that there are people like Barnabas, who, by the way, um, his name means son of encourager. It means there are people who, Barnabas, who, who will fight for you. And for some of you, there are people you need to come alongside and give a second chance to, and you need to be the one to fight for them. I mean, Barnabas even went to a point where Paul said, hey, it's either me or him. And, Paul, and Barnabas said, you know what? I believe so much in his potential. I believe so much in him. You know what, Paul? You go your way. I'll go my way because I'm going to invest in this guy. And, and, and I cannot stress that enough for you. Some of you are people who are incredible encouragers. One of the things that is so encouraging to me is an email where I'll get and say, hey, look, I'm praying for you or thinking about you or whatever else. And it's like, you are so good at that. And that's your thing. And you just keep doing that. And it is so exciting to see that happen over and over and over and over and over again. And, and I just want to encourage you to continue to do that. And for some of you, that's your role. That's what you need to do. And you need to be that person. For some of you who think, you know, well, I just don't know that I can, I can do it again. Listen, I can't stress enough to you, God is a God of second chance. And Mark and Onesimus here are mentioned in this book, and they're mentioned again in Philemon because God used them when other people had given up on them. And that, that, I think that is so important. And the last thing is this. One of the things they're encouraged to do at the end is to share this letter. And, and, and Archippus is, is encouraged to keep doing what he's supposed to be doing in ministry. If I'm right and the letter to, Colo or the, letter to the Laodiceans is the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus, one of the things that they're told in the book of Ephesians is this. Do the work of the ministry. One of the things that this book ends on is this idea of ministry, and it ends up sacrifice, and you know, it might involve change, and it might involve all those kinds of things. And, and here's what I would say to all of us. We need to go and do ministry. Period. Um, this church, if you haven't figured it out yet, we're at a transition. And what's going to happen in the next year or so is going to be crucial. There, there are two issues in front of us. One is having a place for everybody to be able to meet. And this is working right now. But if it keeps going like it's going, it's not going to work for long. So we're probably, we aren't probably, we are looking at doing something to be able to meet in a, in a bigger facility, okay? We're, we're in the process of putting that kind of stuff together. It, it's just going to be a, 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 a we're going to have to do it. When people talk to me about that, they, they ask me if that's my concern. And I'll, all honesty, I, the building's the building. I, I don't get excited about buildings. Um, they're things. Um, my bigger concern is people.
And here's my issue. Um, when you study ministry, here's what they'll tell you. They'll tell you that once you reach 150 people, it's about all one person, one pastor can take care of. That's the number. Don't ask me why, that's the number. Okay. We passed that a long time ago. Okay. So either one of a couple things has to happen. You have to bring in somebody else to help you. And I've got to be honest with you, I just don't do that well. I've been on multi-staff things. If that's the way we have to go, that's the way we have to go. Not my preference. Uh, not really what I want. It's not, it's not my thing. You know, um, and there's all kinds of reasons for that. You know, if, if you get a good, good person, it's great. If you get a bad person, it's really, it can get really, really bad. So I'm just, that's not my thing. If God wants that for us, that's what God wants for us. Here's what I think is far better. We do the work of ministry. We do it. Because that's what we're called to do. When this thing started, in a given year, I could be in everybody's home in a year. I could take one home a week, and I could be in everybody's home. I can't do it anymore. I'd have to be in at least two homes a week. And that's as long as nobody else went in the hospital, died, wanted to get married, or had a family problem. This doesn't happen anymore. So what's got to happen is we have to pastor each other. We have to minister to each other. We have to encourage each other. We have to check on each other. What's going to happen, and I'm just going to tell you right now, this is very hard for me. Those of you who know me any length of time know, I, I would like to tell you I'm not a control freak, but I'm lying to you and I'm lying to me. I like, I, if, if something's, if I'm responsible for something, then I'm responsible for it, okay? So it means I have to let go of some stuff, and, and I'm, I'm gonna, you're going to have to be very patient with me. It's going to take, it's very hard for me to do. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do it. I'm not good at that, um, so that, that's what that's my that's my change I've got to make. But what I need the church to do, us as a congregation to do, is for us to start picking up stuff. So if you see something getting dropped, you got two choices: you can write and complain about it, or you can say, you know what, let me go see if I can do that. Pastor, so-and-so went to the hospital. Great, call me. Let me know. Pastor, somebody went in the hospital. I'm going to stop by tonight, but I just wanted you to know, too. See the difference? Pastor, so-and-so, you know, so-and-so's having a hard time financially. Okay, we'll see what we can do to help them. Might be, you know, a different thing. Pastor, you know, really... It really bothers me when I see, uh, you know, the young people struggling. So be a friend to one of them. You know, we've got to watch out for one another. We have to do the work of the ministry together. And Paul reminds these people at the end, particularly Archippus, he says, look, you need to continue doing what you're doing. One of the toughest struggles in front of us, most churches don't do, can't make the transition. And that is, we have an incredible family-loving atmosphere where we care for one another. As it gets larger, that gets harder to maintain. 
The only way you can maintain that is if we do it. The board and I, we can set up all the programs in the world, but unless we do it, it's not going to happen. Unless you know the names of the people who walk in and out of these doors, that's why we did the directory. But you know what? If the directory goes home with you and gets shoved in a drawer and you keep coming in here every week and you don't know the names of these people, we can print a directory every week and it ain't going to make a difference. We have to take the, to invest in one another. And you go, you don't know how busy I am. I would love to have somebody come up to me and go, hey, pastor, in my world, I'm not busy. I don't do anything. Because I, I don't even think those people exist anymore. You know? Because why? Because we're all busy. It's about priorities, and it's about putting people up in, in, ahead of other stuff. And we just got to do it. We just got to do it. And, and my prayer for us as a church, because I don't want to lose what we have, I want to offer what we have to more people. I, want to, I think it's meeting a need in our community. I think it's a need in our world. But we got to do it. And Paul ends this book by encouraging them to share it with other churches, to share, let the other churches share with them, to be able to do this, and then to understand that it's going to come to with a cost. In this case, it was prison. In our case, you want to, you want to know what I think the cost is? time and we're in a world where that's the most valuable thing you have you know you want proof of that look at what the schools now do with fundraising anybody remember the days of you had to go sell 20 candy bars now what do they do buy a box of candy bars we don't care what you do with it or go to sell them and most parents will do what They'll buy a box of candy bars. You know why? Their time is more valuable than their money. If we're really going to do this Christian thing right, we're going to have to invest our time in one another. That's ministry. It's about people. And, and that's my challenge to us. We keep Christ at the center. That's what the book of Colossians is all about. And we minister to each other. And we... We pick each other up, and we carry each other, and we help each other, and we, we get involved in each other's life. And if everybody in here would take one family next year, just one family, one family, that's it. You take one family in this church, say, you know what, we're going to invest in them. We're going to get to know them. We're going to have them over. We're going to take them out to eat. We're going we're gonna to babysit their kids. We're going to whatever. One family. It will change the dynamic of this place to a new level in caring for one another. Because that's what we're going to have to do. That's what we're going to have to do. And, and I just want to challenge you because we have a lot of new faces. We have a lot of new people. And we've got to get to know each other. We've got to love each other. We've got to be invested in each other's life. Because honestly, a pastor can't do it. Not about desire. Believe me, believe me, it's not about desire. You just can't. You just can't. Because, you know, i got my world stuff going on too. We have, to care, we have to invest in one another, and that's my challenge to us. And as we wrap up this book, that's the thing. We need to do something for our building, and we will. 
But if we don't take care of one another, I don't care what we build. It's not going to matter. It's not going to matter because it's about people. It's about people. And we've got to get to make sure that that stays a priority in our lives. And like I say, for Paul, God wants to use you. God will give you a second chance. God, God desires you to invest in somebody. And you'll be the richer person for it. Okay? So I end it with this. God desires to use every one of us. But we've got to be willing to be used. We can't allow our past to keep us from moving forward. Because God wants all of us to do the work of ministry. To care for one another. To love each other as he loved us. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it, we've all got busy lives. We've all got stuff that's going on, Lord. Many of us, we're going to walk out of here and we're heading home. And Lord, once we get done with supper or lunch or whatever we call it, Lord, we've we got a list of stuff. And uh, Lord, we've we got stuff to do and places to go and things to accomplish. But Lord, you didn't give your life for stuff. You gave it for people. So Lord, help us not to lose sight of that this week. Lord, there are people in here that every one of us can encourage. There are people in here, Lord, that every one of us can invest in. And Lord, we've all got somebody sitting around us or somebody we're going to bump into before we leave this building, Lord, that, uh, that Lord needs a friend. They need a Barnabas to come alongside and help them through a tough time. Others, Lord, need to be, have the opportunity to be an encourager and help those around them. So, so Lord, help us to do that. And Lord, when this is all said and done, and Lord, people look at this church, may they be able to see our genuine love one for another. And most importantly, Lord, may they be able to see Christ in us. And Lord, use us. And uh, in the days ahead, Lord, help us not just to preserve what we have, but to enhance it and to make it even deeper. And we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise when this is all said and done. These things we ask in your name. Amen.